are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. And their forward-handled design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows. Now, I have known Tracy and David Bolowski for many years, and both Nick and I, plus both of our families, just love Tracy and David. So check out their website at www.stjoeriverbows.com or call Tracy Bolowski at 517-617-3658. Well, welcome everyone to the podcast. How's it going, Nick? I hear you've, uh, <laughs> no, I don't hear, I've seen it on Facebook. <laughs> You're fighting the influenza again already. Yeah, I feel like we just talked about this, and <laughs> like in our second episode, and it's happening again. Except I, I man, I hope she don't have it. But Mackenzie, my youngest, has got one of those things that just this nagging fever that just keeps coming back, and she can't go back to school unless the fever breaks for 24 hours. So she keeps on getting like a little fever and then it'll go away and she's fine. She'll get it again. And you know, she's been on steady like ibuprofen and stuff, but I might have to take her to the doctor tomorrow because I really hope that's not what this is. She hasn't had a chance to get her shot or anything. And, and you know, we're, uh, yeah. And, and then I, then I went home from work sick today. So I'm, I, I'm just, I think that was more paranoia than anything else, but I did, feel, I did feel kind of bad. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm just trying to kick this stuff before I come down there. Don't be, don't bring it, don't bring it down here. I'm just, I will, I will quarantine you in a heartbeat. You'll be sleeping out in a tent in a backyard if you bring that stuff down here. <laughs> no, I think we'll be all right. Um, I'm, uh, I'm pounding the emergency and, and we're, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, I won't overdo it. Um, and I probably won't hunt much this week, if at all. Maybe I'll fish once um, because I, I just sent my bow down to you today. Yeah, the, but, bow, uh, is, the bow is in route. Yeah. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm actually uh, uh, was, was hoping maybe to, to slip out and hunt a little bit this afternoon, but really just didn't have the time. So I'm hoping to leave after work tomorrow and get a few hours in, maybe a little bit Saturday. And then this weekend is Lori's birthday, so I'll hunt a little bit over the weekend, but not a whole lot with it being her birthday. And then you'll be here before we know it. We're, we got, we got three full days. I'm, I'm really hoping to spend every hour we can actually mm-hmm. in the I stand. So I can't, I can't believe it's already here. It's uh it's crazy. We've been talking about this. Hell, I bought my plane ticket like months ago, months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so Jess even forgot I did. She's like, did you get your ticket yet? I'm like, I got that a long time ago. I, I never sent her an itinerary. I say you an itinerary. I never sent my wife an itinerary. She's like, when am I supposed to do this? And, and I was like, oh yeah, you got to pick me up at 10 PM on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so hey, I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, tonight uh, we've got Mr. Jim Eckout joining us. How's it going, Jim? Good. How you guys doing tonight? Good. You're doing real good. Doing real good. You, uh, you said uh, right before we we started recording, you had you actually been in the woods this afternoon, and we made you we made you bail out of the woods to come record a podcast. Did you Did you see anything today? 
Yeah, I had a small buck by me for about uh, probably about an hour and a half, actually. Just I've uh, got a pretty good crop of acorns this year, and um, I don't know. He just was feeding around me nonstop and finally bedded down about 30 yards from me, but uh, too small to shoot, and uh, just enjoyed that. And he got up just before dark and wandered off. I said, well, that's my cue to head up to the house and get ready for the podcast. We've got a we've got a pretty well we've got a sporadic acorn crop in some areas here it's really good. Um, in fact, the the area that uh, Nick and I are going to be hunting uh, at least two days next weekend. Uh, when I was there a week or so ago, the the white oaks are just loaded down and they're still holding on to the acorns. So I'm really hoping that uh, they're dropping they're dropping good when we when we get down there. So it should be a should be a good time, but uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about about your 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 history, I guess, and your background, and uh, just uh, jump in and tell everybody. You know, when did you when did you get started? When did your passion develop for uh, hunting with a bow? Well, I guess I, as long as I can remember, I've always shot a bow. My dad was, a, you know, and still is a traditional bow hunter. Always, you know, shot a recurve and. Um, I would say, you know, probably around seven, eight years old, I was shooting a little, a flat bow. I think it was made out of lemon wood. And then uh, just stuck with that. Always, you know, shooting whatever I, whenever I could or whatever I could. Um, and then just kind of progressed from there. I want to say in 1976, 77, my dad said, well, it's enough of that. You're going to be old enough to hunt um, legally here in Michigan. So, one of our trips up north, we stopped right in at, you know, the Bear Museum and picked up a new recurve for myself and kind of went from there. So we kind of always had that um, privilege of living here in Michigan when bear archery was here. We could just go get whatever. So that was kind of neat. We could visit the museum, see the movies, the mounts, and do all that kind of stuff. So that was always a, a trip for us to take up north and stop by there. So, and then uh, I just kind of always stuck with it, just shot tradition my whole entire life. Did uh, did you ever did you ever stray from the traditional path and and try a compound? No, uh, uh-uh. uh. Well, I shouldn't say I never tried it. I um, I have shot a compound just to shoot it. And uh, one time, I, I think it was right after high school, I was dating a girl, and um, she come over one day with this box, and I said, "What's that?" She said, "Why, well, I, I bought you a new bow." I said, "Well, I don't need a new bow." Well, yeah, but you don't have these wheels. And I was talking to my dad, and he said, you need one of these. I said, nah. I said, but thanks. So I gave it back to her. She wasn't happy, but ended up getting rid of that bow and getting rid of her because I really <laughs> needed one. Yet. <laughs> I was so getting ready was to say, did you, did you keep the girl or not? But <laughs> Nah, uh, I couldn't at that point. <laughs> per- permanent black mark in the book. Never, never could get over it. <laughs> um, Jim, you actually uh, – uh, and I'm a Michigan guy too. And I forgot that you were from Michigan. Um, and I know you still hunt with bear bows, right? Yeah. I've always hunted with bear bows. Um, for a little while there, I, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, um, I'd always talked with Dick Robertson about building me a bow and he built this bow and I had it and I shot it for a couple of years. Um, let's see, I don't know, it was maybe five or six years ago. I shot a few deer with it. I shot a black bear with it. And then let's see, I think that was it. And, um, probably I wouldn't say two years I hunted with it. And then I went back to the bear, nothing, nothing to do with the Dick Robertson bow because 
amazing, you know, mm -hmm. um, just ended up in somebody else's hands that really wanted it. So <laughs> I said, okay, well, well, here you go. And it seems like you so. got that connection to bear equipment. I see that you, uh, like a lot of your pictures I've seen on Instagram and stuff like that. You've got like the, like the, uh, I don't know if it's an older, older bear takedown or a newer bear takedown, but you got the, the quiver and the greenies and everything. Like, so I didn't know yeah. that, that seems to be kind of like your thing a little bit. And I, it was that connection. Is that the connection from when you were a kid kind of thing? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I've never, ever used anything but the bear blue line razor heads for any of my hunting. Um, and that quiver, that four L quiver is the main quiver I've used for, I don't know, probably, I probably want to say close to 40 years. Oh, wow. That same quiver. Um, and I also have a similar one that has a spring arm on the top and it goes into the insert in the front and a couple of spring. But that 401 is one I use on most because I'm shooting an A handle takedown. And for a mm -hmm. while I shot a B handle takedown and they would, that quiver would screw into both of those. So that's why I used it. Gotcha. Are those, are those, uh, are those older bear takedowns or are those uh, the newer, newer ones? Um, actually, no, they're both a Gainesville bow. The um, A-handle is one of the ones, the original 100, that um, Three Rivers Archery had made a while back. Mm -hmm. Bring back the A-handle. So I ended up buying one of those and started hunting with that and kind of put the B-handle aside. Um, but those are the only two Gainesville bows that I've ever hunted with. Normally, I always hunt with the grailing bows. and But I kind of I like the takedown because of traveling and doing different trips and stuff. But, um, but don't get me wrong. I, tonight I hunted with a, a super grizzly. So an older, you know, so it, it just, I just switch up back and forth. They all shoot about the same. So then they're all the same poundage basically. So. Gotcha. So you, don't, you don't have to spend a lot of time adjusting, just pick up another one up and go shoot. Yeah. Because I keep them strong and I shoot in the backyard all the time. And when I just, I'll just grab whatever bow and I said, I'm going to hunt with this tonight or whatever. And then like, like I was talking about the quivers earlier, <clears throat> I'll just put the spring arm on the grizzly or the super grizzly, you know, because it doesn't have the uh, inserts in the side, mm -hmm. but still the same, you know, same arrow, same everything else. I'm sorry, Nick, I cut you off, man. No, that's fine. I just said that. I thought it was kind of a cool, uh, that, uh, that quiver was like the first thing I noticed on all the pictures that that yeah. old green quiver. And I'm always like, I, I always had a soft spot for those things. I just, they're, they look so cool on a bare bow, you know, cause the two are meant to go together and that I, I like the old green ones like that. That's uh yeah, that's real neat. I do too. They're good. And you know, like I've got an old, or I actually got a new, the newer 59 Kodiak, but I have a, a 1959 quiver for it also original. And I've, I've actually, I think in my collection, I have every single bear quiver that was ever built. Oh, cool. You know, I'll, yeah, from Detroit to Grayling, every single one. So whatever ball I grab, I can put it on if I wanted to. <laughs> and now, the, um, so obviously, uh, David Belowski um, is the one that actually – put me in touch with you and he's been really amped up for us to to do this episode and i think he's been firing topics and discussions and so forth back and forth <laughs> to me and nick for for about a week so i'm sure we'll disappoint him because we won't be able to remember them all but <laughs> one of the um 
and I had seen it before, but I went back and Nick sent me a, a, a message today and I went back and watched it again. Your, your film that you submitted to, um, uh, the QU film festival on your black bear in, in Prince of Wales. Now, which, which bow were you hunting with on that trip? That was you know, my bear a handle takedown. And tell us, walk us through, walk us through that hunt. Cause I know the, you know, the, the video is kind of straight to the point, um, with, you know, with your, you're actually putting a stalk on that bear, but you kind of walk us through that hunt. And I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you about it afterwards. Okay. Well, I, um, I put in, you know, for a lot of, uh, out of state tags and a buddy of mine had drawn that tag the previous year for, and he was up there and, uh, he's just in bears nonstop. And I said, man, I got to draw that tag. So then, uh, the following year when the drawing came around, we were actually at the uh, Compton big game classic out in Denver and the results came out that night. And he, I said, Hey, pull them the results up on your phone. So he did. And he goes, he looked at me, he got a big smile. I go, what? He goes, you drew the tag. And I'm like, there's no way. That was my first time putting in. And he's like, no, you drew the tag. I said, Man, I can't believe it. He goes, I'm going with you. I said, you will? He goes, he goes, I'm going with you because you talked about wanting to make a video. He said, if you don't mind, I'll go with you and videotape. I said, great, let's do it. So that's kind of how it started. And then uh, through the planning phases, you know, with his experience of having hunted there the year before, and then um, I used uh, like Google Maps and stuff like that to kind of pinpoint areas where I wanted to hunt based on the salmon runs, being that it was a fall hunt. And uh, kind of, you know, we compared notes back and forth. He doesn't live too far from me here in Michigan. And um, so then we, uh, we ended up getting there to the island. We stayed at this cabin that this guy, him and his wife started a business there. They're actually from Michigan as well. And uh, we, we rented a cabin from them and you know, got everything ready to go hunting actually in the night before season. He goes, now you sure you got your tags and everything and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yep, I got everything. He goes, let me just look at it for the heck of it. So I said, all right. So he's looking through my stuff and he goes, well, this is the wrong bear license. I says, what do you mean? I go, no, it's not. He goes, yeah, this is the wrong bear license. It can't be. He says, I'm telling you, it has to say Prince of Wales Island and blah, blah, blah. And I said, wow. So he goes, let me call fishing game, a friend of mine and catch a can. So he called him. He's like, yeah, that's the wrong license. And I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? And he's like, well, he put me on the phone with him. And he said, well, how come you didn't bring the three by five card with you? I said, I never got a three by five card. He goes, and how do you know you drew the tag? I said, cause you guys sent me an email. So while we're talking, he goes, well, your address is one. I said, my address is one. He said, well, that's what we have on file. Your address is one with your name. <laughs> said, I'm like, no, that's wrong. He goes, well, that's why you didn't get the three by five. I says, okay, so now what? He goes, well, you can't hunt tomorrow morning, but you did draw the tag. But he goes, drive down to Craig, the wild fishing game office there. I'll send them an email right now and all the paperwork will be there and you'll be good to go, but just don't hunt the morning. So I said, okay, no big deal. So at least it'll, you know, we're going to be legit and everything's good. He goes, so license they sold you, we'll just void it out. And I said, okay. So we get up in the morning, we drive an hour and a half back to this town, go to the fishing game office. They're going to open at eight o'clock, walk up to the door. There's a sign on the door, closed due to illness. Oh, no. I was like, oh, boy, now what? So I look over to my left, and there's a state police post. I said, well, the state police in Alaska are wildlife troopers as well. Let's walk over there. Walked over there, explained the situation. 
he gets on the phone right away. They fax everything over and we're good to go. Well, that was taken care of. So we end up going back and uh, talking with my friend Dan, who had hunted there the previous year. We kind of narrowed down to where we had wanted to hunt. Um, I guess I kind of missed one point. The night before, after all that, we went scouting to the spot that we both wanted to hunt opening day. And uh, we seen the bear eventually ended up shooting that evening just for a brief second, but it was enough to see that it was a good bear. And um, I said, well, let's get back here tomorrow and we'll do that. So after we got the license situation taken care of, we were back and um, I want to say we were on the river around noon and we worked our way down this river. And the reason I wanted to hunt this river is based on what my friend Dan had seen there the year before and that it was only a half a mile from the ocean, meaning that the salmon would be fresh run. So that was kind of my thinking. Um, that's going to, where the bears are going to congregate, hopefully. And there was a nice gravel bar in the center of this river. And I, it just looked like a good ambush spot. So we ended up sneaking down the river, sat there for several hours, didn't see anything. And I said, well, let's, it's going to be dark in about three hours. Let's move back to that gravel bar and get in that gravel bar, which we started to do. And as we went across the the river to the gravel bar we looked back to where we just came from and out stepped that big bear and had we just waited a few more minutes he would have been right in our lap but there was nothing we could do about that then we just watched him chase salmon for a little bit and then a couple other bears entered the stream at that point and you know they're all in a frenzy chasing fish everywhere so we made our way to the little gravel bar and got under the brush a little bit and the bears eventually worked their way towards us. Um, and we had, you know, a couple different bears feeding around us. And then finally that bigger bear showed up and um, he came down in front of us and he was catching salmon probably, uh, I don't know, 15 yards in front of us, 20 yards in front of us, He'd come down here, catch a salmon and go back in the brush. And then you can kind of see at one point in the video, the bear comes down and uh, <clears throat> he's right in front of me. He turns and walks away and there's a big giant, uh, I guess it was a spruce or a, I'm not sure, but it's laying dead parallel to the river where he walks up on that. And that's about a 16 to 18 yard broadside shot. And I said, all he's got to do is clear these weeds and that's it. So as he's just getting to these little weeds, I start to draw back. And he stops and looks right at us. Well, the reason he did that is you can't really, you watch that video, you can't hear it. But Dan shuffled his feet just a little bit. And I don't know if it was one of the reeds he was standing on or whatever, popped. And even with the noise of all the salmon um, splashing and the, you know, the noise in the river, that bear heard that. And he stopped right there. And I couldn't shoot him, you know, because there was a few weeds that were over the vitals. You know, just grass, it was like. And I thought, well, I don't want, you know, I know the arrow will go through it, but I'm not going to take this chance. So he just kind of looked at us and pitched off the back of the log. And I looked back at Dan and kind of shook my head and then stopped videotaping. And he's like, well, what happened? I said, you moved your feet. He goes, what? I said, you moved your feet. The bear heard that. He goes, well, what are you waiting for? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the bear's been around us. I said, well, I told you I want one really close. He goes, well, how much closer do you want it? <laughs> I said, well, I want to be right on top of us. I said, it's only the first day, you know. So 
so that, he, he disappeared. Then he came back out and he, he circled around and played around by us at times. He was within 10 or 15 feet of us, but we were standing under a dwarf birch tree or a birch tree that was growing on the end of that gravel bar. And I couldn't shoot to my left. And the bear was right there catching a salmon. He actually went behind us up on the bank and ate a salmon step back down in the stream. And I looked back over my right shoulder, Dan's standing like five feet behind me. And the bear is like five feet behind him sitting in the river. And I said, I looked at him. I started smiling. I said, don't move right now. He's like, why? I go, that bear is five feet behind you. And he's just looking around, you know, and how he wasn't scenting us. I don't know. Well, then he just went back up the bank and crossed in front of us again, caught another salmon and go up, you know, and he, whatever they do, they just go up and they strip them because there's so many of them. They don't, they just eat, I guess the good stuff and go for the right. eggs and they come right back down, you know? And then, like I say, that went on for about 45 minutes. And then finally he came back down and he caught a salmon and he's standing in the middle of the river at the end of the gravel bar. And he's just stripping the salmon. And I kind of like jokingly said out loud, I said, come on, just drop that salmon and walk down here so I can shoot you. And he picked his head up with the salmon in it and he dropped it. And here he comes. And I said, get ready. Here he comes. He's like, what? I go, get ready. He's coming. He's walking the edge of the gravel bar. So he starts filming. And you can kind of see it in the film. We're probably a foot or two higher than the stream. And the bear's coming. And he kind of turns to start to come towards me. I kind of start to draw. And then he steps back and steps right in front of me. And um, I just kind of drew back and let him have it. And I think I was nine feet away he was in front yeah. of me so he, 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 <laughs> he, i'm sorry see man. the arrow the arrow goes in and kind of just it, it broke inside of him and starts coming out well and the bear growls and snaps at the arrow and he's running away as you see him running away i see the arrow coming out of him kind of and i was like wow i didn't get very good penetration you know how your everything happens so quick your mind's kind of playing tricks on you sure right? sure you know, so the bear runs off, and you can kind of see, I hurry up, and I get another arrow out of the quiver. I got it on the string. I'm trying to get a second arrow in him, but it just isn't going to work out. And he runs up the bank, and I kind of look back at Dan, who's still filming, and um, <laughs> he, uh, I just nod and that, and he stops the video camera, and then I kind of look back, and he is shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> I mean, he's like, and I look at him, I go, what's wrong with you? He looks at me, he's like, have you lost your freaking mind? He goes, I thought we were going to get killed. I said, well, no, I, I do this all the time. I said, no big deal. I said, I told you I wanted him close. And it was just, he's like, oh, he's dead. I said, are you sure? I said, that arrow. He goes, no, that arrow was perfect. And I said, well, you know, like I say, your mind plays tricks on you. And I see him running away. I see that arrow. And I'm thinking, not realizing they had broke when it went in, hit the off shoulder and snapped instantly. So... Um, we were probably, and you can't really tell from the video, but it was about a half hour to 45 minutes before it was going to be dark, you know, and, um, if you've ever heard about Prince of Wales, that Island is, it's a rainforest and it's notorious for people losing bears that are well shot because they can get up under the roots and they can get up, you name it. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And so I, we, I made the decision. I said, let's wait till morning to go get the bear. He's like, well, it's, a, it's your hunt. But he goes, that bear is dead. And I said, well, I'm sure he is. But I just, 
you know, I'm thinking I didn't get the right penetration out of there. So we reluctantly backed out of there, you know, tried to rewatch the video through a little two inch by four inch screen overnight, you know, couldn't see. We weren't sure. But anyway, in the morning, went back, went up the bank, found blood right away. I don't know. We went 60 yards, maybe. You know, maybe 40 yards into it, I found the back half of the arrow, and then there was just blood everywhere. The bear didn't go very far. It was, right? You know, double lunged it, and that was that. So, now how how big was how big was that bear, Jim? Like weight wise? Yeah, I mean, do you if you have a weight? But I mean, it was a it was a big bear. I just wondered if you knew any measurements on it. I don't know, um, like weight wise, what it would be. When I took it to the taxidermist, um, he he was just guessing it would have been around a four hundred pound bear. I believe so. that. Yeah, and I'm basing that. I believe that's probably about right because I've got a couple here that I've shot that were on certified scale with the guts in them. I have one here was like three hundred and one, and the other one was like two ninety something, and that bear was considerably bigger in Alaska. So that, that's what kind of what I'm guessing at, you know, he's around 400 pounds in fishing game. Uh, when they looked at it and everything, that's what they kind of said too. So. Well, I'll put a, I'll put a link to that video in the, in the show notes for this episode for anybody that's listening, wants to go watch it, but it's, it's a cool video to watch. And that, again, that is a, that is a big bear. And yeah, it was, it was very close. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, it actually reminded me of the um, kind of back to the Fred Bear thing again. One of my favorite videos ever is in one of those Fred Bear, you know, the, the iconic shoreline hunt, you know, with, yep. the cinnamon, with the cinnamon bear, how he shoots it behind the rock, and then he, it, it's, it's there around him the whole time, like unbelievably close, and somehow just does not figure out that he's there. And um, yep. when I saw your video, I was like, yeah, that reminds me a lot of that. You know, cause it was, and then there was that one point where you were in the, you know, you were in the river on that shoal and, uh, when he was catching the salmon and he turned and like, was like batting a salmon down the river and it looked like he charged you. And I was like, what is he? Do? I'm like, that thing's charging him. And then, you know, no, he was just going after a salmon, but it looked like you were standing right in front of him. Yeah. And, actually that was a different bear. We, there oh. were several bears around us. Oh, wow. Beating. The one that was running at us was a different one, and he ran right up to us. And I don't know if you can see it, but I'm filming with a small, yeah, little camera that's like a GoPro. And I'm just like, yeah, that bear's too small. And there's other bear, like I say, that were feeding around us and stuff. And there's a lot of video that obviously you don't see because the film was edited down. My daughter put all that together and edited it down. But there's, you know, a lot of video of that big bear around us. You know, it's, it's really neat. You know. Oh yeah, you must have had nerve. You must have nerves of steel to have not taken that shot in the weeds. Because I'm telling you what, I watched that twice, and I was like, I had a, I had a shot. I just shot right there. I mean, I wasn't there, but you know, and it's probably different. Plus, you've done that before. But yeah. I, I definitely would have shot right there. <laughs> I kept thinking, I'm like, <laughs> but uh, I get what you're saying though, because it was those that was really tall weeds, and. Uh, I just couldn't believe how close he was. I was like, it doesn't get any closer than that. Then it did. And I was like, wow, that's, that's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, so it was close. 
Yep. So uh, Dave was telling us about another hunt. Um, he said, you got to ask him about his Utah hunt with the, with the, uh, the mountain goat. And uh, if I, you got, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have that, you have a state record there, don't you? Yeah. It's um, the last I checked. It's um, the largest ever shot with traditional archery equipment for the state of Utah. That's awesome. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so the deal with that is, I don't know, I think it was 1991 or two, I was going to Alaska on a mountain goat hunt right around that time. Anyway, I booked this like a year and a half in advance and I was getting flown into a high mountain lake, dumped off for two weeks and picked back up, whatever. And then the air service called me. I don't know when it was probably six, eight months later to let me know that they had changed the guide requirement law in the state of Alaska. And you needed to have a guide to hunt mountain goats. He had someone that could guide me and the whole nine yards. And I'm not paying for a guided hunt. Didn't have the money anyway. So that was that change that hunt to a caribou hunt, what caribou hunt. But anyway, so then I started putting in for mountain goat hunts in the lower 48 had a lot of points in Utah through my miscalculation when they said you can put in every third year I had two other hunts I went on and skipped two years and then when I went to put in the third year my three by five card came in the mail said zero points so I called fishing game I said well what's this every third year and they said well that's every other year so I lost my points so I lost like 12 points in montana for mountain goats so then a buddy oh, of mine wow. said, well, why you put in for yeah so i my buddy said why don't you put in for uh utah you know i said well i do put in for utah but it's you know you can only put in for one species he's like no they change it you put in for multiple species now so i've been putting in for desert bighorn forever in utah so anyhow i put in for the mountain goat tag in utah in two i forget what year it was 2000 whatever Put in, anyway, the third year I drew the mountain goat tag in Utah. Now, my buddy and I are putting in for the same unit. He has 11 points. I have two points, and I drew the tag on my third try. <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right, this is great. So I've got the whole summer to plan this. Same thing. I started doing the Google map thing for the unit that I'm hunting in. Then I went on the bow site ended up uh, just kind of, I never used the bow site before, but somebody suggested it. So I just put a thing in there that I drew that tag for that unit. And if anybody had any, any reference or familiarity with the uh, unit <clears throat> and right away, a guy got a hold of me. So I live right there. So I called him up and he explained to me, you know, he lived right there and he kind of told me what I was getting into. And I told him what I was going to hunt with. And he started laughing and I said, well, why are you laughing? He goes, well, <laughs> I helped a guy from, uh, I think it was Missouri or Illinois two years ago. And he got one with his recurve. He said, so I know exactly what you're, you need to do and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I'll, I'll help you out in any way I can. I saw awesome. oh, great. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So yeah, just a great guy. He goes, in fact, he goes, I'm going to go up there in that unit in two weeks for a little weekend getaway. So I'll videotape as much as I can for you. And I'll send you a video. I'm like, wow, great. So he did that, which was really helpful. And, um, so then I just, you know, ordered topo maps, studied that, studied everything else I could. I spoke with the guy they helped two years previous, and uh, he kind of gave me some tips, you know. You know how that is. Everybody seems to help everyone. 
especially when you're a bow hunter. So um, I compared notes with everything, got it all nailed down, took the entire season off from work, loaded up my truck and drove the 1,700 and some miles out there. Got there three days before the season. Got up into the mountain, set up my, you know, my base camp. And then uh, proceeded the next day after I set up my camp. I had like two, well, say two and a half days then. That day I got there, I set my camp up. So I'll just do a little scouting trip. So I kind of snuck up into the mountains just to kind of get an idea feel for what was going on. And right away I ran into some goats. Well, there was a band of, I don't know, eight or ten goats right there. And there was three billies in the, in the band of goats. And I noticed that the one was, you know, considerably larger body-wise. So watched them till dark, went back to camp <clears throat> next morning, got up before daylight, hiked back up in there, found the same group of goats, kind of hung with them for the whole entire day, just staying within three to 500 yards of them, following them the whole day, got their pattern figured out what they were doing, how they went up over the mountain, get out of the sun as the sun come around they fed back up over the top and bedded for the rest of the day and then went into their pattern for the evening you know so watch them then the next day did the same thing and they repeated the same pattern so this is the day before the season i find a spot that's near the peak of this mountain that's like a little rock outcropping and it has some stunted i think they're loblolly pine trees growing around it's kind of like I'm, I'm laughing because i'm like boy this is like if the goats continue this, it'll be like shooting a whitetail out of a tree stand. They'll feed right below me, and I, they won't even know I'm up here. So I, uh, as I'm hiking out of the mountains now, throughout this two days or whatever, I've seen other guys, you know, there's other hunters in this unit, the rifle hunters. And then I, there's also people that hike this because it's not far from Salt Lake City. So you get hikers. So... I was just wearing plain clothes, not trying to look like a hunter. And I'd run into people and I actually ran into one guy and he's like, <clears throat> he kind of goes, what are you doing back here? And I saw, I'm just checking out the scenery and I seen some mountain ghosts up there. And he's, he goes, where'd you see the mountain ghost? So I told him and I'm just kind of, I don't know who this guy is. And he's kind of like, he goes, yeah, he goes, I ran into some guys a little while ago. He goes, these guys are hunters. Can you believe that anyone would even shoot a mountain goat? How terrible is that? And I go, yeah. I said, I don't know why they want to do that. So I said, well, have a nice day. I go the other way. So anyway, so I just was playing it low key. And then uh, as I'm walking back to camp, uh, the night before the season opened, I ran into another guy and he, he had a rifle or he had a tag, but he was something with a rifle. And he asked me uh, if I had any luck scouting. And I said, yeah, I've seen some goats, you know. And he said, well, where are you hunting in the morning? And so I explained to him where I was going to go. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, there's no mature billies up there. He said, I've been scouting this all summer. I said, well, I said, I'm not after a mature billy. I'm at, I have a tag for either sex. I'll be happy with any mountain goat that I get. So he kind of like, uh, well, he said, I understand that. But, you know, this is a once in a lifetime tag. You should want to shoot a mature billy. I said, listen. I'm hunting with a bow. I said, I'll be happy with anything. He goes, you're hunting with a bow? He goes, what kind of bow you shoot? And I told him, he started, he just looked at him. He said, good luck. <laughs> he said, you're not going to get a mountain goat with that bow. I said, well, that's okay. I'm fine with that. I said, because I've made my mind up and I've got the whole entire season off and I'm going to give it my best shot. 
So he's like, okay, well, good luck. But I'm telling you, there's no mature goats up in there where you want to hunt. I said, okay. So back to camp, and I'm just kind of laughing because I'd already spent two and a half days with this group of goats, and I knew there was three billies. I never looked at horns size, I guess. That's one thing I just never even thought about. I just figured if it's a billy, it's a billy. And right. I never like knew that if it's a nine inch billy or a 10 inch billy or eight, inch, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I didn't care. I just knew I wanted to try to shoot a billy. So anyway, and I knew this one had a, a big, uh, bigger body than the other two. And I shot tons of video and took multiple photos of these goats for the two and a half days I was there. So anyway, Opening morning, I get up, I hike up into there. As I'm making my way to, I'm kind of waiting for it to kind of get light. I wanted to not bump any goats, but just kind of make my way up to that spot I had found, that little rock outcropping. So as I'm going along, I end up uh, seeing some goats and they're already feeding towards me. So I kind of like stood up against this rock face and these goats fed right by me. And I mean, within 10 feet of me. And literally, and it was, it was, what it was, was a, was a nanny and two of her kids. And the one kid was so close, I could have just tapped it with the tip of my bow. You know, they fed past me. And then um, as I started to go, I bumped these rocks and I actually knocked the quiver off my bow. Oof. And on that, a little back story on that, I was using a predator recurve on that. I used my dad's predator mm-hmm. made here mm-hmm. in Michigan on that hunt and it didn't have the uh, inserts for a quiver. So I put two way tape on there to hold it. Well, I, well, I hit that rock so hard it knocked the quiver off the bow. So I hurry up and just strapped it to my day pack and got up to that rock outcropping real quick and uh, got situated. And uh, I was just getting situated and I hear a rifle shot, and it's close to me. I mean, so close. I mean, I jumped. I was like, oh, my God, where'd that come from, you know? And kind of looking around because I wasn't really sure where it came from. And then I hear something running through the rocks. I look, and these goats are running towards me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the, the rifle shot came from that way. So then they stood there milling around for a little bit, and then they started feeding. Well, the goats all set up to me. And they're anywhere from 10 to 30 yards away from me. There's 9, 10, 12 goats all around me, mm-hmm. including two billies that are with the group. But that great big bodied one wasn't with them. So my mind starts playing, you know, okay, somebody was back here, you know, got in here rifle hunting. Maybe it was a guy I talked to the night before and he knew that bigger body one was in here. That's why he's not with him. That's probably what just got shot. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Right. So I'm thinking, well, it's the first day. Why, really? That one just really had a larger body. I, I know that's what they said. Look for the bigger body. Well, the next thing you know, I got two billies in front of me at like 15 yards broadside. And I'm like, all right, they have no clue I'm here. You're hunting with a bow. You've, this is a once in a lifetime tag. I said to myself, don't be playing around here. Look, that goat is shot already, the one you were after with the bigger body by that rifle shot. That has to be it. So the goat, the two billies start kind of, I don't know, headbutting each other and just pushing each other and just playing around a little, you know. And some nannies and kids are really close to me now, right literally below me, like 10 feet. And um, they kind of all pick their heads up 
and they start looking down the mountain. And I was like, well, what are they looking at? And I'm like, looking. So I got my binoculars laying there. They can't see me. I pick them up and they're all staring intently down the mountain. And um, so I look down the mountain and there's like a, a trail there that they, people ride, bring in mules or whatever, pack mm -hmm. trains or people hike that trail. But I look down there and there's a guy with a backpack on, just looks like a, just a, a hiker. Right. So he's hiking along and I kind of lose him in the rocks, whatever. He disappears. So then the goats go back to feeding. Well, while this is going on, I was watching him. The two billies kind of wander off and I'm like, darn, I probably missed my opportunity. But the goats are real content and they're just feeding around me. All of a sudden they all pick their heads up again. They're staring down the mountain. And this is like, I don't know, maybe a thousand yards down. And I look down there and there's this guy walking back the other way. I'm like, well, what's this guy doing? Is he lost or something? I don't think much about it. They go back to feeding. The two billies start coming back to me, and I said, all right, enough's enough. I said, just if you get the perfect broadside shot, you need to take one of these. Well, the goats all, like, do the same thing. They look again. You know, just like a whitetail will see something. They all pop their heads up. They're looking. I look again. This guy's walking back the other way. I'm like, this guy's got to be lost or something, you know. <laughs> but it's helping me because the goats aren't moving anywhere. They don't, you know, it's so – about that time, I hear rocks breaking behind me. And now the peak of the mountain is probably 10 feet above me and about 20 feet behind me. Well, I kind of hear that. I turn and the goats are looking right then that this goat comes over top and runs into this group. And it's that great big one, the bigger body. And immediately him and one of the other two billies that were there they start fighting and pushing each other around and they're just you know they're going at it and dust is flying up off their fur because you know it's pretty dry up there in the mountains and they bed down where they bedded the, the beds are like real sandy well the, you know it's kind of neat i'm watching this take place well next thing you know he stops and he's facing away from me and they're kind of like squaring off and he's like 10 yards from me. It was a straight down shot into his back. And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I can't do that. Well, they kind of push each other around a little bit. And they swing out in front of me to my right. And they're like, it's pretty steep downhill angle. And they're like 25, 30 yards in front of me. And he's, and they're, they're running. And I just yelled out. I just yelled, hey. And they stopped. And as soon as they stopped, I mean, it was not, it was go time. So I drew back let the arrow go. The arrow hit him perfect. Um, he was just maybe slightly cornering and the arrow ended up coming out like the base of his neck on the opposite side. Well, when he spun to his left to run back to the left, I could see I cut that artery, the base of his neck, and he was just turning red. And I'm like, it's over. So he's running and he's starting to go down and there's like a shoot there with this. I knew, and I knew it was a pretty bad drop off like don't go over that don't go over that and he starts to buckle to his knees and he's going down and i catch in my peripheral vision the other goat that he's fighting was running after him but as the goat i just shot falls down the goat that was chasing him hits him in the rear end the goat i just shot tries to get to his feet and spin around and as he does his hindquarters flip off the edge of that drop off and he's gone over oh, the edge oh no no and i'm like you got kidding me i can't believe this just happened you know so i uh i'm just sitting here trying to collect my thoughts about what just took place i said all right i know he's dead 
let's just hope one of these big boulders caught him. He didn't bounce down or whatever. There wasn't so, a river at the bottom of that, was it? <laughs> no, but he could only go so far. And then it was like, if he went down to where that trail was, beyond that trail, it was like a cliff. And if he had went over that, which would be a thousand yards already, right. and then if off that cliff, there was no retrieving the goat. It was gone. So, but I thought there's no way he could bounce through these rocks, all those rocks. It was just a giant boulder field. And I mean, big boulders, you know, half the size of a small car where a lot of the boulders, I figured he wouldn't, he'd get hung up eventually. At the beginning, it was like that. And then it, they got smaller as it went down. But anyway, so I kind of, uh, sitting there collecting my thoughts and I said, man, this is like hour and a half or so into opening morning. And I just shot my mountain goat. I can't believe this has been a lifelong dream of mine to shoot a mountain goat, you know? So I grabbed my little ancient cell phone, which is a flip phone, which I still have. And I turned it on to see what time it is. And I had a full signal. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I called my dad back here in Michigan. I said, dad, he's like, yeah. What are you doing? I said, I just shot a mountain goat. He's like, what? I go, I just shot a mountain goat. He goes, and you're calling me? I go, dad, I have a signal on the top of the mountain. He goes, What'd you shoot it with? I go, with your bow. He's like, what? I said, Dad, I just shot a mountain goat with your bow hour and a half into opening day. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, how big is it? I said, I don't know. I go, it's got a big body. <laughs> I don't know. I go, it slid off the edge of this drop off. I got to go get it. But I turned the phone on to see what time it was. I had a full signal. So I figured I'd call you and tell you the good news that I shot the mountain goat using your bow. So he's like, well, go find it and call me back later. I'm like, well, I won't have a signal if I, unless I climb all the way back up here, and I'm probably not going to. So anyway, so I hang up from him, and I gather my stuff together, and I walk over to where the blood's at, and I see where he went off, and there's just blood everywhere. So I kind of pick, start picking my way through the rocks, and as I do, I look off to my left, way up in this basin, and I can see a couple orange vests, I get my binoculars, I look, and I see these guys working on the mountain goat. I go, okay, that's where the rifle shot was at. So now I know why the goats, that's what that happened. So as I'm picking my way through the rocks, blood here, blood here, I find the back half of my arrow, uh, the, just the fletching. You're buried right to the fletching. I find that part of the arrow. Like, okay, this blood, he's got to be laying right here. And all of a sudden, I hear someone yell, it's down here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of look, I'm kind of looking around, and I can I can only hear out of my right ear, so I can't tell direction very well. So I'm like, someone just yell something, and all of a sudden I hear, "It's down here!" And I kind of look down the mountain, and here's that lost hiker guy waving his arms over his head, going, "It's down here!" I'm like, "Oh no!" It slid all the way down that thing. You know, that's like a thousand yards. So. I make my way all the way down there. There's one big last boulder. I'm kind of on top of it. And the guy's standing on the other side. I go, it's right there. He goes, yeah. I go, is there anything left of it? And he kind of shrugs his shoulders. And he's like, well, pretty dirty. <laughs> I go, are the horns broke off of it? And he goes, no. I go, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no, it's just real dirty. So I was like, so I come around the corner of that thing and it's laying there and it is dirty mess from, you know, the dirt and everything. But surprisingly, it didn't break the horns off. So the guy kind of looks at me and he goes, you know, you scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I did. I said, I did what? He goes, you scared the crap out of me. I said, how did I do that? He goes, well, I'm hiking through here. I hear rocks falling. I look up, I see this mountain goat tumbling through the rocks and I never heard a gunshot. 
He goes, I'm like, where's this mountain goat coming from flying, you know? And he goes, it comes and falls dead right here at my feet. It lands, you know? He goes, to be honest with you, I kind of stopped it. And I'm like, he goes, or what went over this cliff? I'm like, well, thanks. He goes, because I don't know if it went or not, but I stood here. He goes, and he looks at me, he goes, you shot it with that? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you got to be kidding me. I saw, he goes, yeah, I didn't know what happened because I didn't hear a gunshot. So we're kind of laughing. He goes, wow. He goes, this thing's huge. And I said, I know. I can't believe how big the body is. He goes, no, it's got really big horns too. You know, and I'm like, okay, I guess, you know. So uh, he goes, uh, well, who are you hunting with? I saw, no, and I'm here by myself. He goes, you're kidding me. I'm like, no. He goes, wow. He goes, that's pretty cool. He goes, "Um, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Michigan. He goes, Michigan? What made you come out here? I said, I just put in for the tag. You know, he's asking me a couple of things. I'm like, all right, buddy, you got to go or do whatever you're going to do because I, I got to take care of this goat, you know. So I tell him, that. he goes, well, congratulations. He goes, you need help with anything? I'm like, no, I'm good. He's like, all right. He said, well, have a great day. He goes, can't probably get much better than this. I said, nope. So he goes, see, and he, he goes back the way he came from around this, this rock face. And I'm like, now the guy's going back. I said, what's that guy's deal? Anyway. So I sit down, take my license out of the pack, and I start filling it all out. Kind of hear something, this guy's coming walking back. I'm like, all right. He goes, I got to thinking about it. He said, are you sure you don't need help with anything? I said, well, when I get done filling this license out, could you do me a favor? He said, what's that? I said, would you mind taking a couple pictures for me? He said, I'd be glad to. And he goes, oh, by the way, my name is... And I'm the fishing game biologist for this unit officer. Oh, and he that's goes, awesome. <laughs> he goes, congratulations. He goes, do you have any idea what you just did? And I'm like, no. He goes, that is a giant mountain goat. I said, I know. I go, I didn't realize their bodies are so big. He goes, stop talking about how big the body is. He <laughs> goes, look at how big the horns are. I said, are they big? I said, I really don't know. He goes, you're not kidding, are you? I said, no. He goes, that is a giant mountain goat. He goes, you just have no idea what you just shot. I said, nope. I said, I really don't care. I said, I wanted to shoot a mountain goat with my bow. I shot it, you know, with my dad's bow. I said, this is, this is like a dream come true, you know. So super great guy. And uh, we talked for a little bit. And he said, uh, so you got the other out-of-state tag. And I said, well, what do you mean the other out-of-state tag? There's only one non-resident tag. And he's like, well, no, there's an auction tag. And that guy that shot the one up there with the rifle, he bought the out-of-state auction tag. And I went, oh, okay. So he gave me a little backstory on that guy. And I said, well, where's the hunter? He goes, that guy's sitting down on the bottom there. I said, well, who's those guys? He goes, well, that's a guide and outfitter that he hired. And I said, well, why wouldn't he be helping him? He goes, eh, he's one of those guys. I said, oh, okay. Shot the goat for whatever reason. I go, where'd he shoot it from? He said, from down here. I said, that's a long shot. He goes, he's got some fancy high-powered rifle and blah, blah, blah. So whatever. He goes, where you camped at? And I told him and he said, you're going to, you need help packing this thing out? And I kind of looked at him. I said, no, I got it. I said, I can do this. I said, okay, uncorder it, pack it out. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, my partner's back in here a few miles, and we're going to meet up here in a few hours. He said, um, towards evening, he said, when we come through here tonight, if there's any meat left, cash it up here on these rocks, right? We picked out his body. He goes, whatever's left, we'll pack it out for you back to your camp. I kind of looked at him, I go, are you kidding me? He's like, no. I go, you guys don't have to. I go, no, it's no big deal. We do it all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you don't, you're not going to get that in Michigan. But he said, we don't mind. He goes, that's what we do. He said, he goes, he goes, you really, 
you should be proud of yourself for what you shot and blah, blah, blah. So, okay, whatever. So I get the paperwork and the tagging all done, the pictures taken, I quarter all out. And obviously I start packing it back to camp. And I asked him, I said, hey, do I got to take all the meat back to camp? And he said, you don't have to take any of the meat. Utah doesn't have wanton waste. He goes, you just have to take the hide nest. Well, no, I'm taking all the meat too. So I just wanted to know if I had to take the hide out and horns out last. And he's like Alaska and other states. He's like, nope. He said, there's no stipulation on that. So anyway, I packed the hide and I think one front or hind quarter and the hide back to camp with all my gear. Came back, which is a back frame. Got the other hind quarter on it. And I says, well, I, I think I can get the tenderloins on here too. You know, so I'm doing that and I kind of look over and here they both come. And they're like, God, I go, you guys are just in time. I go, but you don't have to help me. They go, no, it's no big deal. So they each grabbed the, the other front shoulders, put it in their packs. And they said, we're over this way, but we'll be back to your camp in a couple hours. I'm like, okay. So uh, I hiked back to my camp and then uh, they showed up like an hour and a half later. And then that's when he, his partner finally seen the goat and he's like, you ain't kidding. This thing's huge. And they go, will you do us a favor? I said, what? They go, well, you get this thing scored. And I said, eh, I, don't, I don't know about that. And they're like, no, really, you should because it'll bring, you know, it'll be good for the state of Utah and blah, blah, blah. So reluctant, you know, so I did. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll get it scored for you guys. You know, you guys help me out. Everything's great. So I, uh, you know, they stayed at my camp for a while. We ate dinner together. Um, they took off. And then uh, the next morning I packed up everything and, started right back to Michigan. So it was another one day hunt. So, so, so um, you know, I, I got to ask you, do you buy lottery tickets often? Never. Cause I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking you need to be buying lottery tickets. I mean, so first of all, <laughs> Prince of Wales, you shoot this monster bear at three yards. You, you put in for goats in Montana. You draw one of, uh, I mean, excuse me, Utah, you draw one of only two out of state tags and then kill the largest uh, traditional boat kill goat in the state and to top all that off, you end up having two, uh, uh, two individuals that pack out your goat for you that you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only that, but he shoots the thing. It, it gets, it gets butted in the, in the rear. It goes cartwheeling <laughs> yeah. over a cliff and lands at the foot of a biologist. So yeah, I, I, I gotta ask you. So did the fall? Understanding that, luckily the horns did not get broken. But was was this like the why doesn't a buck ever run towards the truck kind of thing? Did it actually exactly. it help you by going down this cliff to get closer to your camp or not? Well, it didn't so much help me get closer to the camp, but I would have had to pack it all the way down to that trail anyway because I used that trail to get in and out of where I was going. So, so it ran uh, towards the truck. <laughs> well, it didn't run towards the truck, but it ran down the hill. <laughs> so it didn't run up the hill, so that was good. You just so, you just can't make this up. <laughs> no, and you know the you know the funny another another funny. So I'm driving out that morning, and it it takes like you know how some of these mountain trails are these two tracks to get in and out. So I'm driving my truck out, and it's pretty hairy. It's pretty rough, and it takes like an hour and 45 minutes to two hours to drive this trail out and it's you know i don't know how long it is maybe 12 miles out but it's it's pretty rough so i get about halfway down the mountain and 
there's a guy standing there on the side of the this trail with his bow and it's like in a little valley and he walks up to the side of my truck and he's like how you doing i'm like good he goes have you seen any elk and i said no i see elk hunting he goes yeah he goes i came from pennsylvania he goes i drew the elk tag out here he goes been hunting for two days now i haven't seen any elk and i said wow i said i haven't seen i go i did see a couple mule deer i said um i've been i've seen a lot of mountain goats too and he says to me, he said, did you hear about that guy that shot that great big mountain goat with, his, with a recurve bow? <laughs> I looked at him. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I go, how did you hear about that? And he goes, I was in a little cafe in town last night. And these guys were in there talking about it, saying some guy up on the mountain killed some giant mountain goat with a recurve bow. I said, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no. <laughs> can you believe that? I said, yeah, it can happen. I said, well, good luck, elk hunting. He goes, yeah, you too. And I drive away, and I see him look back at my truck, and he's just standing there like with his head turned. He's like, he puts his arm up a little bit, because on the back window of my truck, it says <laughs> traditional bow hunter on it. <laughs> well, I think he kind of put two, two together right then. So yeah. I'm like, man, small town word travels fast. <laughs> yeah, he figured out you were pulling his leg. Yeah. So, so Jim, before everybody listening thinks you've just got a, a, a golden horseshoe hidden somewhere. Um, <laughs> I, so I did want to talk to you a little bit about your, your, your most recent, uh, hunt that, uh, a lot of people would really, uh, kill to, to get the opportunity to, to go on. And that was your, your muskox hunt. Now I don't know all the details, but I do know that you you actually did have some some bad luck on on that hunt. So, you know, let's let's. I'd like to hear the whole story around that hunt from kind of from start to finish too. Okay, so I've always wanted to shoot a muskox for years, but I always kind of wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want an outfitter. I wanted to do it on my own and I didn't want to do the, I guess the traditional, um, on a snowmobile when it's freezing cold temperatures and they herd up and you sneak up on them when they're in their, you know, defensive circle type thing and pick out a bull and shoot it type deal. Or, you know, the ones up in Canada, however they do it. And there's nothing wrong with those, but I just wanted to do it on my own without a guide. Only place you can do that, Alaska. Right. So, I started putting in for this tag 20 some years ago and Alaska doesn't have a preference point system. It's just luck of the draw. So I, like I was saying earlier, I put in for a lot of different out of state tags. So the drawing results start coming out, you know, whatever it is, uh, April, May, June, July. So when it's all said and done, I don't have any tag. Then I'm kind of scrambling, trying to throw something together whatever that may be, or I'll just hunt whitetails, which is fine. But anyway, this year I didn't draw any tags. So I'm just planning. I'm not going to do anything. Maybe I'll drive out to Colorado and go elk hunting, whatever. So I go up to Alaska in July, right after the 4th of July, I go up there fishing with some friends. I'll, um, I went up there with, I don't know, who was it? Was it me, Brian Burkhart, TJ Conrad, Kevin Barr, and TJ's daughter. And we go out with uh, Rourke Brown from Homer Ocean Charters, and we fish for a week. 
And we, you know, we take our bows in case we see a big black bear because the black bear season's open year round. We do see right. bears, but we just we fish. So anyway, the whole, same thing. What are you hunting this fall? Blah blah blah. Everyone's talking. I said I'm just gonna probably hunt white tails, and that's it. I didn't draw any tags. So we come back from that trip, and uh, I don't know. It's probably middle of August, like or second week of August, and. I come off from work one day and it's pouring rain and I grab the mail out of the mailbox, come in the house, throw it on the counter. I go out in the garage doing stuff. And then I start thinking, like, wait a minute, there was a handwritten letter there from the state of Alaska. I wonder what that was. Like, oh, it's probably a fish survey, but it's weird that it was written in hand, you know? So I uh, come back in the house a couple hours later and I grab the envelope and I'm like, what is this? You know, addressed to me from state of Alaska, all handwritten. So I open it up and it says, congratulations on your bull muskox tag. And I'm like, what? And that drawing was back in February. I go, this thing must have been lost in the mail all summer. I said, this doesn't even make sense. So then I start reading further and it says, um, please call this number immediately upon receiving this tag. So I call this guy up. Patrick was his name. He's a biologist. I, I said, yeah. He said, uh, hi, this is Jim Ackow. I said, I just got this muskox tag in the mail. I'm kind of confused. I said, the drawing was in February. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I know why you're calling. You're calling to turn it back in, right? I said, no, I'm not calling to turn it back in. He goes, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of confused. Now, I hadn't even looked at it. I didn't, I mean, I, I'm thinking, what's going on here? And he's like, well, what we did is I'm the biologist. We just have spent the last month on the island, on Nunavak Island, and our aerial surveys and our counts came up with a little bit higher population than we thought uh, was initially on the island. So we issued a couple additional tags. Oh, great. He goes, and you were one of the lucky recipients. Wow. He goes, but he goes, I know you're under a time crunch here because you got to leave in three weeks. And it, right then, as he said that, I'm looking at the tag. I'm like, oh, crap. The season starts September 1st. I've got three weeks to do this. Logist get all the logistics together. So he's got, they give you a whole list of what has to transpire before you can even do this hunt. So I tell him I'm not turning the tag in. Um, I pick his brain for about 45 minutes. He's telling me, you know, this, this, this. Um, what to expect hang up the phone from him and now i now it's crunch time i gotta start booking flights so and, and logistically to get to nunavak island it, it, it's quite a chore to get everything to line up without all these little layovers and you still end up doing it you know and typical alaska the planes keep getting smaller which is fine so i get everything lined out you got to have like fish boxes in place to haul the meat back they have to be at the island. We have to hire a, one of the um, native Cupic Indians to be a transporter to move you around the island because there's nowhere to go. It's the second largest island in the Bering Sea with one small village of around 200 people. So you either have to go by boat or you have to go by four-wheeler to set up a camp. Now, unlike the uh, winter hunts, where you go out by snowmobile and they find them and that's that. In the fall, you bring your own stuff. You bring your own camp, you bring your own food and you pick a place to hunt and the transporter will take you there. 
So normally I would have all summer to do this planning. Now I have no time. I have three weeks to make this happen. So based on what the biologist said, I called him back a couple times, compared notes. I knew where I wanted to go hunt. I found a transporter on the island um, that was actually recommended to another friend that lives on Prince of Wales. And I told him what I wanted to do and that I was coming with my bow. And he said, well, I, I would think you should still bring a gun. And I said, well, if I do bring a gun, I'll bring a monkey loader. He goes, well, you do what you want, but I would just bring a gun, a gun gun. And I'm like, well, okay. So I, uh, I decide if I'm going to bring, I don't even th think about the gun. My biggest concern is now I've been shooting. I haven't been shooting my A handle takedown at all. I've been shooting my 59 Kodiak all summer because that's what I wanted to hunt with. Now I got to change this up because now I can't really, I don't want to fly that bow. Right. So I just switch to the A handle and start shooting that. And every time I go on a hunt, I'll make a, uh, a life-size target here in the yard and I just practice. So right away the muskox target gets made and I start shooting, shooting, shooting. So I get everything packed. I'm ready to go. And like the night before I'm going to leave, I think I was talking to my dad. My dad's like, you know, you really should take a gun with you. I said, I really don't want to shoot a muskox with the gun. He goes, well, you take the muzzleloader. You like hunting with a muzzleloader? I said, yeah, all right, maybe I'll just take the muzzleloader. I'd like hunting with a muzzleloader. He goes, either way, it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. It's a great experience. I said, yeah, okay. So I grab my muzzleloader, I take it apart, and I throw it in my takedown bow case. And I, um, you know, I'm packing everything, and I'm thinking about rain. They say it rains a lot on the island. So I grab my bow strings, I wax them up real heavily, and I throw them in a Ziploc bag. And I got a windproof lighter laying there. I throw that in the same Ziploc bag. I throw both my finger guards in the Ziploc bag and my arm guard. And I put it in my takedown bow case. I never do that. I always throw it in my day pack, which is in my big duffel bag. I didn't care. It's going in the case. It's going to be locked. Right. So everything in that case, way to the airport the next morning, you know, check in, smooth sailing, fly to Alaska, spend the night in uh, Bethel, fly from Bethel, Alaska to the island. Uh, the next day is going to be opening day and get to the transporter, picks me up. Now, when you land on the island, you're landing two and a half miles away from town on a flat gravel runway. There's no airport. It's just a gravel runway in the middle of nowhere. And there's a guy waiting there with a four-wheeler to pick you up. So there's no trees on the island. There's no nothing. So he him and his wife pick me up in my gear. We go back to their house in the village, take care of everything. I tell him where I want to go hunting. And he's got to take me by boat because it's a spot I picked. So he goes, looks at the tide charts, everything like that. And he says, okay. He said, we have to leave within the hour to make the tides to get, because it's an hour and a half, hour and 45 minute boat ride to where this island's at. Or this little spot I want to hunt on the island I said okay so I start getting my gear together and he's like uh, <clears throat> I put everything in dry bags whatever and I said should I take my bow out of the case here he goes well just take the whole hard case with you I said okay we get down we throw everything in the boat we take off and we get going and we're going for about 45 minutes and now we're out in the Bering Sea and we're just riding along it's a beautiful day and I'm just like I can't believe this is really happening this is awesome and the motor quits on the boat. 
And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he looks at me and I said, what happened? He goes, I just put brand new pumps in here and the, something happened. <laughs> Luckily, he had the backup motor. So we uh, get that going. He goes, I'm not going to be able to make it there. I can't legally take you there unless I have a backup motor because I'm responsible for your safety. Right. So I'm like, okay. So we chug all the way back to the harbor. He goes, I do have another boat we can take. So we hurry up and throw everything in the other boat. We start to pull out of the harbor and I look at him. I said, wait a minute, hold on, stop. He's like, what? I go, I don't have the keys for my hard case. I said, they're in my carry-on. I said, we were in such a rush, which wouldn't have been a big deal. I would have broke the locks off of it. No big deal. And he starts, and he looks at me and he starts laughing. And I said, what's so funny? He's just, you know, and he's a cubic Indian, great guy. And he's like, he looks at me and goes, Jim, everything happens for a reason. And I said, okay. He goes, I couldn't probably make it there before the tides went out anyway in this boat, given we lost so much time because the other motor quit. And he goes, and you probably had to walk through a half mile of muck just to get to dry land. He goes, I don't want you to have to do that. He goes, I'll take you in the morning. Okay, fair enough. So he goes, don't be upset. Everything happens for a reason. I say, I don't get mad. Nothing bothers me. So he goes, you can stay the night tonight at my house with my wife and myself and my kids. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, so we go back to his house and um, I said, you know, I'm going to put my bow and stuff, get it all together. I said, I'm like, I go, do you mind if I put my muzzleloader together and just leave it here? I said, I'm really not going to take this gun with me. He's like, not a problem. So I open up my bow case and I've got those, you know, it's a takedown bow case. So it's barely a little bit longer than the length of the arrows. And it can, mm -hmm. you know, so as I open it up, there's a foam divider in there. On top of that foam is laying the windproof lighter. I'm like, well, how did that get out of the Ziploc bag? And he goes, what? I go, I just kind of looked at him. I said, well, this lighter was in the Ziploc bag under this foam. And as I pull the foam back, the Ziploc bag is gone. The only thing laying there, I topped the and the muzzleloader was turned around. The only thing laying there was my arm guard. Both my bowstrings and my finger guards were gone. And he's like, well, what does that mean? I go, that means I can't shoot my bow. He's like, so can we make you a string? He goes, because we got stuff to make nets. We got, every I said, no. I said, um, I'm just going to hold with my muzzleloader. And he goes, you're not mad? And I said, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I said, I'm not letting this bother me. I said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Whatever happened, happened. I said, I'm just not going to shoot a muskox unless I can get it in bow range. He goes, well, how far would that muzzleloader shoot? It only shoots as far as the bow. He has no idea, you know, <laughs> how far it'll shoot. I said, no, I can shoot it pretty far if I have to, but I said, I'm not going to shoot a muskox unless I can get it in bow range. And he's like, Jim, I feel really bad. Are you sure we can't make a string out of some type of net nylon net line? And all? I said, no, I said, we, we're not even going to play around with that. I said, let's, I'm just going to do what I did. So I put the muzzleloader together, got everything ready. And, um, that evening, he's like, you want to go for a ride? He goes, well, maybe we'll go do some scouting on the four-wheelers. My wife and I said, you know, see some salmon in the river. So we did. We went for a ride that evening. 
And uh, while we were looking off in the distance, I'm kind of glassing. I took my binoculars. I seen a big bull muskox up on the side of this hill. And we're watching. He goes, yeah, that's a really big bull. I said, boy, I should just come out here. You know, I don't know. We're several miles from town at this point. I said, can I camp out here? He goes, well, yeah, if you wanted to. I said, well, why don't we just come back here in the morning? And I'll, I said, I've got two weeks. I'll just hunt around this area. He said, it's your hunt, wherever you want to do. I said, well, can you bring me back here in the morning? He said, absolutely. So kind of where two valleys converge and this river ran through it. So, and then I thought, well, I can fish there too because the salmon run and everything's good. So go back to his house that night, get everything ready, leave first before daylight in the morning, get back there as it's getting daylight. He drops me and all my gear off. And uh, I hike up to a ridge. And as it's getting daylight, I just kind of sit down and I start glassing and I'm looking, looking, and I look and off in the distance, I see a whole herd of muskox bedded down and I can see one big bull in there. And I was like, wow, this is great. So my white tail brain <laughs> thinks you got to play the wind and make this big two mile circle around these muskox and come in from the backside. So I do that and waste a couple hours and come around, they're gone. I should have never let them get out of my sight. So I start walking this. I said, so they're gone wherever they want. So I start walking this ridge line on this hill and I walk and glass, walk and glass. Finally, I find two other muskox and they're about three miles away. So I'm trying to, I can see they're both bulls and I try getting closer and closer. And then uh, I kind of stop to get something to drink. And I said, I wonder what happened to that herd. And I look back the direction I came. Now I'm like five miles from where I'm camped. And I'm thinking, well, I'm getting closer to the ocean. So if I get one, these two bulls, and I shoot it, I can pack it to the beach and then we can get a boat in there. That's my thinking. So as I look back to where I'm camped, kind of keeping my bearings because it's flat rolling tundra, basically people don't understand unless you've hunted. It's pretty easy to get lost in that if you don't keep your bearings. There's no trees. There's no markers. As I do, I see a black spot, and I pick my binoculars up, and then another black spot, and then another black spot, and it's the whole herd. So I'm like, well, these are closer to camp, so let's go back a couple miles to these. So I make my way, pick a reference point, make my way back there, and then um, I get over there and they're gone again. I can't find them. I'm like, there's nothing higher on this island than my knee. How can I not find a herd of muskox? <laughs> so I start looking. I go, well, there's a little flat up here on this top of this little hill. So as I eased up, then I see them. They're all bedded down. And they're about 200 yards away from me. So I eased up to about 100 yards using some taller grass. That was probably, actually that grass was probably about two and a half, three feet tall. There was a patch that was probably about 50 foot round of this grass. So I used that as like a barrier, dropped my day pack, and I crawled up through that grass right to the edge of it. And um, I was right in the herd of the muskox, and they're right there bedded. Some of them are 20 yards from me, but the bull, he's about 70 yards from me. So uh, I just laid there in the grass, and I'm like, I'm going to try to sneak back and get my video camera. This is really cool. Well, the bull gets up right then, and he starts making these crazy noises. He's grunting and everything, and he gets this one cow up, and he's pushing her around because the rut's going on. So I'm watching this all go down. I'm like, this is cool. Most guys never get to see anything like this, you know. So he'd get one cow up and she'd have enough of that and she'd bed down and he'd go get another cow up. And this went on. I watched him for 45 minutes to an hour doing this. Get one cow up and then 
push her around and make it, you know, it's just crazy. So finally, he gets this one cow up and she's had enough. She kind of trots by in front of me and she goes and beds down like 15 yards to my left. And he's snorting at her and grunting and saliva's coming out of his mouth and he starts walking straight at me. And I'm like, all right, this is it. He's going to get in bow range and this is perfect. So he's coming from my right kind of on an angle and he finally gets in front of me and he turns broadside at about 25, 30 yards. That's all right. That's it. He's in bow range. So now I can shoot him. So that was it. So I used the muzzle loader and I shot him. He ran maybe 20 yards and that was it. He was done. And it wasn't on the day on, wasn't on day one this time. Yes, it was. It was day one? Yeah, it was the first day. Of course so, it was. Wow. So I uh, – You were I'm the luckiest, kind of like, unluckiest guy I've ever seen. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't believe this. It all worked out. I just kind of was kicking myself a little because I wanted to go back and get the video camera and try to prop it up somehow next to me and get on video. Um, but anyhow, so I uh, – I go grab my pack and get all my stuff ready and uh, take what pictures I can by myself best I can. I just had a little short tripod and then uh, I got to work on it, quartering it, skinning it. And just, a, they're just an amazing animal, um, unique body structure. Um, the way the hump is that, that picture that loin along the back, it just, it, it, they're just amazing, you know? So I get it all quartered out and, get it all in game bags. And one of the requirements to hunting there is you have to have a satellite phone with you. So I had rented a satellite phone and um, you have to have that for emergency purposes because there's no cell phone signal or anything like that. And um, so I call the train, you have to call the transporter when you're done hunting so that they can come and pick you up. So uh, I get all done with the animal and I'm sitting there and I make, you know, eating something I had brought with me and, I'm like just kind of laughing. I'm like, I haven't even set up my camp or anything yet. So uh, I uh, I call him and his name's Ishmael and he answers the phone. I go, Ishmael, this is Jim. He's like, Hi, Jim. What are you doing? I said, Well, I'm done. He goes, No, don't give up. He goes, It's the first day. You'll get you'll get an ox. You'll get an ox. Don't give up. I said, No, I'm done. He goes, What do you mean you're done? I said, No, I got one. He said, you got one? And I said, yeah, I got one. He's like, no way. He goes, it's a nice one. I go, I, I guess it's a nice bull. I'm really happy with it. He goes, did you do what you say you're going to do? I said, yes. He was in bow range. He was 25 yards, you know, right now, you know, everything. He goes, well, congratulations. He said, um, well, when you get done with it, he said, you know, everything. He goes, just go make your camp tonight. He says, um, I'll, my wife and I will come pick you up tomorrow morning in that same valley where you dropped you off. I said, okay. I said, but I'm already done with all that too. He's like, you're already done with what? I said, I already quartered it. It's in the game bags. Everything's ready to go. He says, well, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. He goes, well, let me get my wife. I can get my daughter and my grandson. We can get the four wheelers back there. We'll get you out tonight if you want. I said, what's up to you? I don't want to bother you. He goes, well, no, he said, we'll get it in. And he goes, that way you'll have the meat here in town and you can take care of the meat tomorrow. Cause you, you know, it's up to the hunter to take care of the meat also. So I'm like, well, I don't want to put you out. He's like, no, no, it's fine. So like two and a half, three hours later, here they come on the four wheelers. 
you know, and I tell him where he goes, just leave the meat there. And I said, well, can you drive here? And he said, yes. So I said, okay. So I met him down where my gear was dropped and I explained to him where the muskox was and up on this high ridge. And he goes, I can get the four wheelers up there. And it took forever. It was rough. It was like two, I think it was 2.3 miles or something where I was camped. They got the, we got the four wheelers up there, got it loaded up and we got everything back to camp and back into town. He, into this uh, another home that he owns in the town and all laid out ready to cool for the evening um, all in on the first day. So we got back to his house that night, we're eating dinner and they're speaking in their native language and they, they all start laughing and they all, and he kind of looks at me, he puts his arm on my shoulder and he said, everything happens for a reason, right? I said, <laughs> yeah, it does. And he starts laughing. He goes, I just want to let you know, I've been doing this for a long time and you're the first. I said, I'm the first what? He goes, you're the first guy that's ever went out on a fall hunt, shot a muskox on the first day, and got it back into town all on the same day. He goes, no one's ever done that. He goes, the earliest I've ever had anybody do that is like, you know, three, four days. He goes, to do that is unheard of. I said, well, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> so, and, um, so it was pretty neat because it, the, how it happened, you know, and then the next day, obviously, I took care of the meat. I got to spend a couple of days with the, um, the people in the village. Got to learn about their customs and how they live. And it was just really, really neat, you know. Uh, and so what kind of muzzleloader were you, were you hunting with? I was using a night rifle. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. yep. Very 50 cool. 50 cal. Yep. So. Very cool stuff. So yeah. we've been, we, we've been kind of just chewing up the time here, Jim, I did want to ask you, um, real, real briefly before we wrap this thing up, you know, how's your, how's your deer season going this fall so far? I know we talked about today, but, um, how, how's your, how's your whitetail season been going thus far? Well, I don't want to jinx myself, but. <laughs> Are you was. kidding me? Mr. <laughs> Luck? <laughs> Well, just just rub today, that, just rub know. that golden horseshoe a little bit. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably only missed two or three days since season opened of hunting, and I've had deer in bow range every single time I've been out. Every single time I've been, I don't know what it is this year. No matter what stand I go to, where I'm hunting, I've had deer. Even in the Upper Peninsula, at my parents' home, I was into deer. So, um. I want to say it was like the 5th of October, I had like 11 does feeding on acorns underneath me in this white oak tree. And finally I said, you know, I'll, I'm going to, we can shoot five does here um, and two bucks. I said, well, I'm going to put a doe in the freezer. So I shot this nice doe, real nice mature doe. And then, so I got, I got a deer. Then what day was it? I don't know. Three or four days later, um, I was going out hunting. And I seen these turkeys out in this field, crossing the field to where I can hunt in this other farm. So I ran down the fence line to try to get to a tree stand, which I was planning on hunting that night anyway. Well, the turkeys were kind of going to beat me there, and they were feeding past the tree stand. So I just ducked down in this ditch by this big cottonwood tree. And as the turkeys fed by at like 15 yards, I shot the first one. So I filled my fall turkey tag, too. So Very nice. So, and that was yeah. Yeah, so I so I shot the doe, and then um, then I shot the turkey, and uh, I almost 
two nights ago, I kind of messed up a little bit on a nice eight point. I just, um, they're kind of getting in that chase phase right now a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I had two or three different bucks feeding up. Hey, actually nine does feeding underneath me and this other white oak, you know, when the white oaks drop, that's what they want. And that's where I got the stand and on the edge of a bean field. Well, this doe come off to my left and there's a stream there and she's going to cross the stream. And I said, all right, well, she looks back and out steps this buck. I'm like, okay, well, he's going to follow her. So I just kind of sat in my stand instead of standing up, figuring he's going to follow her under the stream. Well, she come up and eating acorns underneath me. And he stood broadside 20 yards to my left, which I'm right-handed so I can shoot, but I'm sitting down in a two-person ladder stand with an arm rail. I can't turn to my left unless I'm – I can't shoot unless I'm standing. Yep. He's 20 yards broadside for over 10 minutes just looking at all these does feeding them. He wouldn't move a muscle. The only time he looked back is some raccoons are coming through the weeds. And I, I started to ease up. And as I just finally got stood up, he kind of like turned and he started eating, facing away from me. And I just ran out of daylight and I just sat there. And finally it was like quarter to eight and I'm still sitting there and the moon's up and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? So I started making a little noise to run all the deer off and and they really didn't run off. They just kind of walked off, you know, so I eased out of there. So, you know, lesson learned. I should have been standing, (laughs) So, but it'll happen. Like I've been seeing them, but, uh, so it's it, it'll happen. We've I all do pretty. I get pretty lucky. Yeah, we've all done that. Um, I, in fact, I've had it happen to me already once this year. And and I, I'll be honest, my situation been kind of the same, except it hasn't all been hasn't all been deer. But I've I think I've had two two outings where I just didn't see anything, and one of them was basically on the tail end of a, a hurricane. It wasn't. It was just a lot of rain and just damp. wasn't wasn't too windy, but it was just nasty and didn't see anything that day. But uh, I had a I had a really nice buck that I should have gotten a couple of weeks ago. That same situation, I should have been standing. I sat down a little bit too early, and uh, he caught me trying to trying to move and position myself so I could be in, ready to take a shot. But it happens. So well, I'm, just, yeah, I'm just hoping Nick, Nick doesn't run them all off when he comes down here. <laughs> <laughs> I need some of that luck. That's what I need. <laughs> well, yeah. Steve, you know, the thing is that luck too, a lot of people tell me that you need the luck. You need the luck. I'm like, well, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you've had some I stuff think... happen too, though. I mean, yeah. I feel like karma just, if it's like a boomerang, just swings around a lot better than on the good side. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's yeah. because you have such a positive attitude over everything bad that happens. Nick, weren't you listening? Everything happens for a reason. I, I heard you. I still, <laughs> then, I'm trying to figure out then why we're friends then. What's the reason for that? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, this has been great, Jim. Man. It yeah, really, it really has. I enjoyed it. Well, I think we've we've probably kept you tied up long enough, Jim. We we really do appreciate you taking the the time to to share some stories with us and our listeners. It's it's been fantastic, and uh, I, you know what? I wish you all the success for the rest of the season. I hope your hope at eight point comes back and gives you another broadside, and you're standing next time. Yeah, I'm hoping to. And uh, thanks for having me on. I really I really enjoyed it. And same to you guys. Good luck, and hopefully. Uh, Nick, you can get into one of those deer down there. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I need I, it. 
I sure hope he does. I'm tired of hearing him complain about it when he comes down here and doesn't shoot anything. So, <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, Nick, thank you for uh, thank you for being my co-host again this evening. Yep. Uh, Jim, we really do appreciate it, and hope you have a, a great rest of your season. And you have a good night. All right, you guys take care. Thanks again. Take care, guys. <laughs>